Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my extra amazing co-host, <laughs> Ellen McGirt. Ellen. Hey, Alan. How are you? <laughs> so we have a really interesting and different guest today. Uh, he is the CEO of Grab, which people in the United States may not know about, but I can tell you anybody in Southeast Asia does. It started as a ride-hailing service but it has grown into ride hailing, meal delivery, e-commerce, fintech, all rolled into one in eight countries in Southeast Asia. And it's considered uh, Southeast Asia's most valuable startup. It was really a surprising conversation. You're right, Alan. I wasn't familiar with Grab, but I know that you have been and you wanted to talk to Anthony for some time now. When did you first become aware that he was a leadership next kind of leader? Well, we did a piece on the battle between Grab and Gojek, which is, by the way, an interesting side story. Gojek is his major competitor in Southeast Asia, was started by a man who was his classmate at Harvard Business School. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk about the influence of Harvard Business School. But put that aside, we did a nice piece for Fortune a, a few years ago. I think uh, Clay Chandler did it that introduced me to this amazing explosion of ride hailing in Southeast Asia. But then he was in right. uh, he was in New York and came by the office and I sat down with and talked to him. And I thought he was a, a pretty amazing person who had the focus that we're looking for on leadership next. He sees his company not just as a way to make money, although he's certainly making a lot of money in the process, right. but he sees it as a way to really help the society he grew up in, to really provide vital services to uh, the people of Southeast Asia. You know, and I knew at the minute he popped up in, into our Zoom. And first of all, he was sick. So, you know, sipping his his healing tea was just <laughs> a it was a very wonderful human moment. Like he really wants to get the story out. But the background, his, his Zoom background was a graphic that lays out what the company calls the grab way. Everyone's going to hear a little bit more about that. But basically, it lays out the company's values, operating principles. Uh, the four parts are heart, humility, honor, and hunger, the four H's. And it really is kind of a beautiful way of thinking about how you enter new markets, how you treat customers and employees, and the whole stakeholder picture. Yeah. And if anybody thinks that's inconsistent with also making money, uh, Anthony <laughs> is on the verge of doing a SPAC transaction that current estimates suggest could be valued at $40 billion. So this is a big deal. We started a little bit by talking about COVID, though. Anthony and his co-founder's response to the crisis actually landed them on our world's greatest leaders list earlier this year. But bottom line, they transitioned over 200,000 ride-hailing drivers to food delivery drivers and other kinds of support. And they built out a ride service specifically for healthcare workers. And to Alan's point, the company's revenue rose 60% in 2020. It's an incredible story. So let's dive in. So let's start with the pandemic. You live in Singapore, which is pretty well locked down and safe, but the other countries you operate in are really, really struggling. Tell us what's going on there and how that's affecting Grab. You're totally right. Uh, we're very blessed to be in Singapore. Singapore has been relatively uh, safe. Unfortunately, there are countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, many of our neighboring countries that hasn't handled it just 
as well. And unfortunately, we are seeing a lot of people getting sick and that's very painful, of course. But for us, what we've done is we've just focused on how could we help during these very, very difficult times. For example, in Indonesia, we worked with the government to set up 53 different vaccination centers. And because of that, we could vaccinate hundreds of thousands of drivers and there'll be many, many more to come. We've also worked with other governments, say in Malaysia, where we found a way when they are dispersing relief efforts, we said, hey, how can we help? And we were chosen as one of the three wallets. And actually, we're the only non-government linked wallet to be chosen to have these relief efforts or relief subsidies go directly to the people of Malaysia. You mentioned the wallet, which is an interesting piece. Grab has provides a wide variety of services, but you're in a position to know everything about a customer from where they go to what they spend. Can you tell us a little bit about how that all works together? Sure. Um, first of all, we don't know everything about consumers. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit too kind there. Thank um, you. You know, just to rewind a little bit, we've come a long way from a taxi hailing app in Kuala Lumpur mm-hmm. to Southeast Asia's leading super app. And the idea as a leading super app is we serve 428 cities across the region. We provide this range of services, whether it's ride hailing, whether it's food, package, grocery deliveries, uh, mobile payments, and of course, what you mentioned, financial services. So how we think about it from a consumer perspective is, you know, let's say if you were in Singapore, from the time you wake up, Alan, to the time you order your breakfast, to commuting to and from work. If you have kids, the Grab would be the reliable source to send your kids to school. And in the evening, you can pay your bills, shop online, all through the Grab app. And the idea here is not about just providing at the consumer side. The most important is actually creating what we call the income options for everyday entrepreneurs. And today we empower Hmm. 9 million everyday entrepreneurs across all Grab services on one platform. And that's the beauty of creating this Southeast Asian enterprise that's double bottom line that serves both the economic interests, but also creating huge social impact. And nine years on, and we're continuing to just double down on this. And Anthony, the pandemic, as as horrible as it's been in its human effects, has accelerated both of those trends for Grab, right? It has moved you further away from ride hailing to the super app business, financial services, grocery delivery, but it's also accelerated your social purpose. That's exactly right. So I'll quickly talk about how it's accelerated, say, the financial services first, uh, since Alan asked about it. You know, what we've noticed actually is that we saw a big problem, which was drivers didn't even have bank accounts. So we couldn't even send them money after their yes. days of earnings. Yes, yes, and yes, things yes. like that that you take for granted in this part of the world uh, or in Singapore or developed countries. But in Indonesia and Vietnam, it was tough. So we had to find first finance them the smartphone, set up their first bank account and get them going. And what we saw was that six in 10 people in Southeast Asia are actually unbanked or underbanked. And this is where non-traditional platforms like Grab can bring 
tremendous value. We can offer them not just financial services, but financial services that are more affordable and more accessible. And we do it by fractionalizing these financial services. So, so think about it this way. If you are a driver partner in Singapore, you can pay as low as 10 cents per trip to get critical illness insurance coverage. So imagine buying insurance as you take your Uber ride, right? And, and it's super affordable for them. We also, because we have this data, because we are the number one food delivery platform, we have the data of all these merchant partners or restaurant partners across the platform. So we know how much they earn, how often they work, how many orders they send, and we can evaluate credit worthiness in ways that traditional institutions couldn't do before. So I'll give you an example. Tao Gang, which is a Thai restaurant in Bangkok, they went into uh, movement control measures. When they reopened, they didn't have the capital to buy ingredients. But because they were a grab food merchant, we had access to their data, we had access to their daily sales. This helped us determine how much credit to offer them, how to make sure daily repayment amounts were automatic so he could repay his loans on time. You've announced you're doing a, a SPAC transaction and going public later this year uh, will raise a substantial amount of money for Grab. What is that money for? You're right. Uh, we've worked with uh, Brad from Altimeter and they've been a great partner because they're invested in our mission. They're invested in making sure we have a long-term success together. And they not only put skin in the game, and you're right, we raised over $4 billion. That capital, we focus in developing real infrastructure. So if you think about it, rewind you know, in history, great countries, great companies used to build infrastructure like highways or canals to facilitate trade, to create strength in the country. What we see, fast forward to today, in Southeast Asia, our jobs as grabbers and as grab is to use the capital to build the core infrastructure of digital economy, to ensure that all boats rise, to make sure that anyone who wants to plug in into a marketplace to access millions of consumers, anyone who wants to access the lowest, most efficient on-demand delivery platform, they can access. Two, there are many people in this region who don't have access to basic financial infrastructure, as I shared just now. So the goal is how we are going to build and revolutionize financial payments, financial digital banking, so that anyone can plug in, whether you're a fintech company that wants to go to a tier three city and there's no bank and there's no branches there, but we're there as a DG bank to provide totally ATM-less, branchless banking yeah, for that, you as a fintech. That's fascinating. So you're going deeper in the countries you're in. You're not going to solve Ellen's problem. Ellen's stranded in Dallas. You're not going to get to Dallas. <laughs> and, I'm and sorry. Help her get I'm out sorry, of sorry, <laughs> No, travel, is a, travel is, a, is a big beast. Anthony, the company has recently announced a major commitment to environmental sustainability. So I'm curious what that is. And I'm also curious about the thought process that had you all decide that this was the right thing to do now. Sure. Uh, you know, financials are easy to read. Uh, social impact is a lot harder to quantify. So mm -hmm. we've been very blessed to launch a Grab for Good in 2019 as a platform. And this brings all our different social impact initiatives, including for the environment. The idea is to make it 
very public so that folks like you will hold us accountable toward our commitments. So we, we launched an ESG report just a few days ago, and it helps us track our progress. But more importantly, it also maps the areas that need improvement, and it pushes us to continue raising that bar. And when you talked about the environment, and these, these are our focus areas. Number one is make sure we help decarbonize our platform and operations. So we are moving towards hybrid and electric vehicles. We've invested over $200 million. And what we can't reduce, we'll focus on offsetting as much as we can. And then it has a whole big component about uh, safety. In fact, it was kind of scary, to be honest, when we wanted to publish it. And there was a lot of internal resistance to say, should we publish it? Because we went into even more detail than our peers about our safety records. And even though it's good, it's still not zero. So for us, our focus is to make sure we're continuously working towards being the safest. And what do we mean by safest? The goal is to get to zero. Yes, zero preventable incidents on our platform. I'm here with Joe Yukazaglu, who is CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us and thanks for your support of our second season. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Joe, we talked about technology adoption accelerating in 2020, but at the same time, it also seemed last year like there was an increased focus on people, on human capital. Can we hope for a future where we have both more technology and more humanity all at the same time? Well, Alan, I'm particularly energized leading a a large professional services firm where people are at the core. This is all about pairing great people with innovative technologies. It's not about replacing one with the other. It's allowing people to free up more of their time to do what humans do best. The technology is an enabler for great people to use their creativity, their complex judgment and decision-making skills. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize that getting this right definitely requires a new kind of corporate leadership. I would say out with the autocratic, all-knowing CEO sitting in the corner office and in with Those who bring vulnerability, empathy, humility, those are such critical attributes to unlocking the creative talents of the workforce in such a dynamic economy. Yeah, it is very different when you're trying to get a group of creative people to solve a problem than when you're simply giving orders and telling them what to do. It requires a brand of leadership that places a premium on instilling values, instilling principles, and empowering people to be able to make those judgments on the front line instead of waiting for some checklist or waiting for some prescriptive order from corporate that spells out exactly how each of those decisions need to be made. Joe, thank you. The Grabway is written in words and logos behind you, Anthony. Could you please tell us what those words are? Sure. Uh, so just think about this simple way. It's four H's. Uh, as you can see, the first H uh, with a heart sign for you, both Allens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that before. I, I like know. That, Alan. <laughs> it is really how do we serve with tremendous 
heart because we love the community. So serve consumers as you love the community, as you love to serve. And the humility component is how do we, even if it means that we have to serve on our knees, we would. Or it also means that we know we're not the smartest guys in the room and we're going to have to take lots of feedback. And because of that, it's going to help us grow. And because we know we're not the smartest guys in the room, we know our hunger tells us, hey, we have to push much harder than everyone else because that's the only way we can outserve our communities. And honor is everything we say we agree to. If I said, hey, even if now, right now I have a sore throat, but I already agreed that I was yeah. going to do this podcast with you. I have medication. I've done a bunch of stuff. But I said, I'm going to be honorable and make sure I do or die. I'm going to make it for this podcast. <laughs> really quick right. follow up, Alan, if you don't mind. I'm curious how the grab way helps you in your recruiting efforts. Does it change the kinds of questions you ask of employees and candidates? Oh, totally. Um, I mean, potential candidates that we talk to, I, anyone who reaches me basically gets tested uh, with what we call the leadership DNA. And it's not just for potential candidates. Uh, we send them our Grabway document. We've actually published it as part of our filings with USSCC. Mm. And we've shared it with all our investors and potential investors during our pipe marketing because we said, look, this is who we are. And it's okay. If you choose not to invest, you choose, it's totally okay because we want to be transparent. This is who we are. I just want to say for the record that Anthony probably is the smartest guy in most rooms he's in. But I, think I appreciate he may be. <laughs> I appreciate the humility. Anthony, Grab started as a school project at Harvard Business School. Tell us that story. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a long time ago. You're, you're right. It did start as part of a business plan competition. And rewind that, we actually said, my co-founder and I took a class called Business at the Base of the Pyramid. And we said, wow, that was a big Eureka mm-hmm. moment where you said, wow, you can actually build great businesses while creating tremendous social impact. And because of that, we said, hey, what is a problem? And she's Malaysian, my co-founder, Hui Ling. And, and Ling said, hey, what is a problem? We both said, you know, transport for women especially is a real problem. You know, when she used to take a ride back home, she would literally have to jump in a taxi, pretend she's on the phone with her mom so that the driver wouldn't try anything funny. And that was the environment she she lived in. And many women of any race, of any age would face this. And we said, look, this has to be fixed. And we said, we submitted it for the business plan competition. We didn't win. Uh, We actually got the runners up prize. And it was funny, we didn't win because they said, Anthony, it's a great problem. Your solution works, but you know what? You're just shooting for Malaysia. It's too small. And because (laughs) of that, that's you know, funny. slap in the face, which I thought was wonderful. It woke us up. We said, you're right. So the first city was Kuala Lumpur. The second city was Manila. Third city was something like Bangkok or Ho Chi Minh. And we just scaled it across the region. Brilliant. That's such a great story. But you're leaving out an important part of it, which is that <laughs> one of your business school classmates went out and started Gojek based in Indonesia, which has become your major competitor. So add that part to the story. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, well, 
Competition is always a good thing, right? I, I've listened <laughs> to your podcast before, Alan. So, I, so. You sure you believe that, Anthony? <laughs> Actually, I do. It really pushes us to innovate. It really pushed us to reinvent consistently. And whether it was pre-pandemic, during pandemic, even during recovery. And Indonesia is probably our most competitive market, to be honest. And I think you pointed that out as well. We started out there later, but fortunately we've come out the category leader in ride hailing. We've come out the category leader in online food delivery there. But more importantly, we focused, and again, thanks to the business plan competition and not winning it, we're not dependent on any one market. We operate across the region in eight countries. In fact, not one market contributes more than 35% of our revenues. So we believe that having a regional footprint is actually key to sustainability, is key to the success of our business. And if you look at COVID, for example, thankfully, as certain countries manage COVID better, we talked about this just earlier on, we're actually very blessed to enjoy a much better economy environment than if we were just singular country focused. Anthony, when I listen to you talk, it's pretty clear that you at a very early age in your amazing business school experience understood that poor people, underbanked people, vulnerable people were not just a market to be conquered, but they were consumers to be served. I mean, you you use that all the, that kind of service language when you talk about your business and your customers. But it is it is a bit of a shift in a capitalist society, but it seems to be an important component of a stakeholder orientation, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. I was wondering if you had any advice for any of your CEO or executive peers who are thinking more seriously about how to serve customers who may be at the bottom of a variety of pyramids. You know, one, one thing I've learned is many businesses and many of them I've met all across the world tends to be a little bit too focused on wanting to build a company that lasts for generations. Mm -hmm. Our focus at Grab is to build something that would leave the future generations of Southeast Asia better off because of the work we do. And more companies around the world need to believe that doing good is actually good for business as well. And I believe we can be a proof of that. I'll give you an example. Last year, we onboarded almost 600,000 small businesses. We provided them the tools, no, but not just the tools and say, hey, live with it. We said tools and the training to how they can grow their business month on month. At the same time, as we offered and brought on these 600,000 merchants, we offered more merchant choice to our consumers. We saw our users spend more on our platform every year. They're more loyal. So for example, our sales and marketing spend as a percentage of our overall revenues has fallen significantly year on year. It went from 71% of our overall revenues in Q4 2019 to 34% in Q4 2020. So it's in our best interest to help them, meaning small businesses do well on our platform because we also do well. I, I wanna shout out and be extremely uh, transparent here. It is tough to build a double bottom line business. Uh, yeah. I'm not gonna say, yeah. hey, it's, it's, it's really tough. And it's especially hard when you wanna do the right thing and still take the temporary financial hit. Yeah. 
And that's why, you know, my advice, you, you ask for advice. I know very little, you know, many of your audience are much smarter than me, but I can say this, document your principles. We document it in the grab way. It takes out all the guesswork of these situations and it mm. ensures that all of grab is aligned to the mission. It holds us accountable and it makes, helps us make decisions with these shared set of principles. Oh, Anthony, thank you so much for that. That is why Ellen and I do this podcast. But, That's but true. you know, there are still people, I was having this conversation just yesterday, people who say, you know, it's too much. I can't do multiple stakeholders. I can't do double bottom lines because, you know, you can't have three goals at the same time. The Milton Friedman world was much simpler. If I can just focus on that financial bottom line and what I'm returning to my shareholders, the other stuff will take care of itself. I mean, you must have these conversations as well. What do you say to those people? Well, I, I just say, I try not to preach. I, I say, let us live it and call us out if we're not. Yeah, yeah. well, you're on your way to the, I, I think it's going to be the biggest SPAC IPO transaction that has happened yet. So it seems to be working pretty well for you at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't think he's hanging around with all those negative Nellies like you are, Alan. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who you're talking crowd. to. Well, oh when, they, when they will let me in, I will come to Singapore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have a new podcast, Leadership Later. Yep. Uh, Anthony, right. thank you so much. Fascinating conversation. Really Good luck, it. Anthony, and what a delight it was to talk to you. Gladly, and I'd love to host you guys when you're here uh, in Singapore or the rest of the region. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 